Good morning, everyone. If anyone would, would like a copy of my notes, there's not a, not a full-on manuscript here. If anyone would like a copy of my notes, my beautiful assistant, Matt, over here, wherever he is, where is he? Oh, there he is, still right at the back. He has some copies. If, you, if that would be helpful for you to have that, if you have difficulty understanding my Yorkshire accent, then um, that might be a benefit to you. Just raise your hands and Matt will bring one to you now. There's someone at the back over there. That's great. Um, I just keep them up there and Matt will bring one round or someone will. So living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1 to 8. I think there is a thing that kind of happens often in your Christian life um, for, for many of us. And that's that we, at some points we settle for less than the best when it comes to our Christian walk. Um, it can happen to all of us. It can happen to us at different times. Maybe we get stuck in a rut for many, many years. And we, we just go along with the Christian life but we're just happy with not having the best of Jesus or the most of Jesus. Um, it can happen to, to you. Maybe you've, um, uh, you, you became a Christian as a, young pers- as a young person or you became a Christian a few years ago. And then everything just seemed new and exciting and, and vibrant. And you wanted to spend every moment of your life just praising Jesus. You want to do everything for him because you were m- blown away by just how wonderful his love for you was. And then life kicked in. And you went to work, and then career took over, or maybe you got married, and then and, and, and the things of life just kind of crowded in around you. Then you had children, then you had all that stuff to worry about, and, and you, you're juggling your finances and your mortgage and, and school and all this stuff. And yeah, you still love Jesus, but um, it's harder to squeeze him in, if you're honest. And you know, Jesus just gets less than your best, and, and, and your Christian walk is less than it should be, and you know it, and you're just kind of ticking along. Or maybe you're older and you've kind of had that passionate experience as you've served in the church faithfully for years and you've worked hard and you're coming close to retirement and now you're starting to think, well, maybe it's time for others to take over. And don't get me wrong, there's a godly way of doing that to kind of step back and to allow other people to come up. But maybe there's a sense in which you're going, you know, I've worked hard enough now. I'm looking forward to my retirement. I'm looking forward to, to going on long holidays and walking along the beach and picking up shells. And yes, I still love Jesus, but, you know, I, I, I'm not going to invest in it as much as I have in the past. You know, you settle for second best in the Christian walk. Is that you? Has that been you? Well, this passage challenges us in those moments. And Paul starts with, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans just blowing our brains with the awesome message of the gospel of how much God has loved us in Christ. Though we don't deserve anything from him whatsoever because of our sin, we don't deserve to be rescued. We don't deserve to be forgiven. He sends his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross to rescue us, to take the punishment of our sins in his body so that we can be forgiven, so that we can receive all the riches and blessings that he deserves, not that we deserve. And when did he choose to do that? 
When we started to be nice, when we started to change, no. We're told that before the foundation of the world, he chose to save us in Christ. That means we did nothing to deserve it. And Paul tells us this over and over again in wonderful deep language that we can spend the rest of our lives marveling at. And after he has expressed that, the whole of the letter of Romans hinges on this phrase. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of that great and glorious gospel, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we're going to be looking this morning, we're going to be going on a journey through these eight verses, and we're going to be thinking about four things. We're going to be thinking about the picture of the best Christian life in verse 1, the mindset of the best Christian life, the actions of the best Christian life, and the power of the best Christian life. We're going to be looking at those four things. So let's have a look at the first one, a picture of the best Christian life. So we're told to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. I mean, you get, sacrifice brings up pictures of the Old Testament of an animal laying on, a, on the altar being brought as a gift to God. Now think about that for a moment. That's the picture. An animal bound, tied, placed on an altar, and then its, its throat is cut, its life ebbs away, and then it's burnt up in sacrifice to God. Now think about that picture of a moment. What is that picture of? That is a picture of absolute, total giving yourself, giving over to God. There is no part of that lamb, pigeon, dove, whatever it was, there's no part of its life, of its body that is not part of the offering to God. It is totally consuming. There's nothing held back. In a sacrifice, all is given or nothing is given. A sacrifice. That's what we're supposed to do with our lives. But but, but we're not a dead sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. Called to to live our lives, our whole lives, on the altar of God. Some of us may be called to give up our lives for the gospel. Some of us may be sent off as missionaries to far off lands and be killed because we love Jesus. Some of us may be called to do that. But all of us are called to live, to be living sacrifices, to live our lives in a way that honors God, to give all of our lives, every part of us, in his service. It's about taking our hands off our lives and giving them wholeheartedly to Jesus. It's about letting go of everything. And he says, your bodies is living sacrifice. That means everything I do with my feet is supposed to be done for Jesus. Everything I do with my hands is supposed to be done for Jesus. Everything I think with my mind is supposed to be on the altar to Jesus. There is no part of my life which is to be sectioned off and kept for me. I'm on an altar to Jesus. That is what Paul is calling us to do in this passage. And then he says, this is true worship. We tend to think of worship as coming to church on a Sunday, singing some great songs, and that is part of worship. But worship is every part of our lives. Everything we do, 
everything we think, everything we say, every activity we choose to be part in, every activity we choose not to be part in, everything, all our hopes, all our dreams, our children, whether we marry, whether we don't marry, whether we have children, whether we don't have children, all of those things are to be on the altar to God. Every part of our lives. You know what? I thank the Lord that there are wonderful examples in our church of people who do this, who say over and over again, my retirement isn't about me. My retirement is about Jesus. Who said, there's nothing that, that I've got that isn't stuff that God's given me anyway, so if anyone needs it, I'll, I'll give it to them. And there are wonderful examples. I'm not going to name them now because I'll be embarrassed about it. But, I, but as I was preparing this message, I was thinking of those people that, that model this in the way that they live amongst us. Don't we all want to be more like that? The only, and the reality is this is the only real response to God's mercy. This is the only response that makes sense. Everything else makes no logical sense whatsoever. And I know that the danger as I talk about this is that there'll be some of you here this morning who'll be thinking, yeah, this is too much. You, you, you're asking too much of me, Ben. The Bible is asking too much of me. God is asking too much of me. Or maybe you think I'm being melodramatic. Maybe you think I'm saying this and I don't really mean it. Or that Paul is saying it and the idea is that he's over-exaggerating the truth. And, and, and you're asking for 100%, but really you mean 50%? No. 100%. That's what this passage calls us to in every part of our lives. Paul isn't being melodramatic. He's saying, look, you've seen how wonderful the gospel is. No other response makes sense. Everything else is futile. Everything else is useless. Anything else you do is illogical. It makes no sense. But you know, the the truth is, I really struggle to do this. I'm so challenged to think about this subject. Why is that? And I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, it's because my heart is so stony. It's because my heart often is, is more concerned about my own comfort. I think too highly of myself and not highly enough of Christ. That's what's going on in my heart. And I, as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of the verse in Ezekiel 36, 26 where God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus deserves everything because of what he's done for us, what he's done for you, what he's done for me. And let's just keep praying over and over again that he would take away our stony hearts and he would constantly, every day, renew us and give us a heart of flesh. The picture of the Christian life is a living sacrifice. But the thing is about talking in this kind of terms is it becomes a bit abstract. And Paul knows that. So then he starts to flesh it out in the next few verses. So he moves on this from this idea of living sacrifice. And then, he's, then we move on to our second point, the mindset of the best Christian life. In verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect 
will. He says we're not to think like the world thinks. So obviously there is a way of thinking in the world that isn't the way that he wants us to think. He wants us to have our minds transformed and renewed so that we think in a way that is able to see how God wants us to live. And then he goes on and he tells us what it is. And the first thing, the first thing he says is to see ourselves rightly. So, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's not what I expected it to say when I read it. What I expected it to say is don't think of yourself highly. That's not what it says. It says don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Well, what does that mean? I think what that means is it's possible to think of yourself and have a false humility. You know, you kind of put yourself down. You say, there's, nothing, there's no good in me. There's nothing I can do. I'm pretty useless. I'm not good at anything. So therefore, you don't step up. You don't, you don't do things. You think, well, oh, it would be proud of me to admit that I'm good at anything. Paul says, no, if you can run the 100 meters as fast, faster than any man in the world, it's not proud to, to say that you can do that. That's just the truth. If you can serve, if there are things you can do, then just be honest about them. You can do them. He's not saying put yourself down. He's saying, as he says, have sober judgment. Think of yourself soberly. Well, what what does that mean? Well, it kind of links really perfectly with the next point. Not just to see ourselves rightly, but to see the church rightly. And Paul writes this. In verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each of the members belongs to the others. He says, we are all part of the body. We're to see the church as part of the body of Christ, that we're all integral parts of. That's why it's important that we don't um, have false humility, because we're supposed to be honest about what we can do in service in the church. We're all given different gifts and abilities and opportunities to serve to benefit the wider family of God. We're all in this together. This is a body, not lots of separate individuals. We're in church together. We're all different parts of this body. We're integral parts of it. If any of you is missing, then church is less than it should be. That is the picture that he's painting here. To have the right mindset is to see ourselves rightly, but then to see the church as it should be. The family of God, the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means you are God's gift. You are God's gift to the church. You are God's gift to the body of Christ. God has shaped you, molded you, given you gifts and abilities and opportunities that are perfectly fit the, the, the needs of the body of Christ. You, right now, you have that. If you're in Christ, you have, you've been gifted with God in a, in a unique way to bless the family of believers. That's true. Don't Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but don't think of yourself more lowly. Don't think there's nothing you can offer. You are vital. You are essential to what God is doing 
in this community and across the world and in history. You are part of God's plan. You are God's gift to the church. The church needs you. But also it means the church is God's gift for you. You need the church family. You need church. There's no such thing as an individual Christian out there on his own. We're to be be connected to one another. We're part of a machine. We're part of a body. You know, like a clock inside those mechanical clocks, it's just amazing to see all these great big cogs and these little cogs all working together to tell us the time. There's a lot going on there, isn't it, inside that clock. But if you remove one cog, the whole thing stops working. You are God's gift to the church, and God's church is God's gift to you. You will only grow in your walk with Jesus if you're a part of it. It's the, the, the machine of the church is designed to help you grow more in love with Jesus. This is what being a living sacrifice looks like. It's about being part of God's family and serving where you can in the church. Loving God means loving the church. Loving God means loving his children. Being a living sacrifice means knowing your place in the family of God and serving the family of God. Holding nothing back. Church isn't about what you can get out of it, although you do get lots out of it. Church is about how, what we can put into it, where we can serve, what we can do. Jesus, and this shouldn't surprise us, Jesus in John chapter 13 and 14 tells us, links these two ideas together. Often we, we, we can separate them, but Jesus says over and over again, well, let, let me read these verses, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then in John 14, verse 15, just a few verses later, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Jesus links loving God with loving his children. And over and over again in the New Testament, you see this. God says, you must love me. Love me. Love me. Love me. And you go, how am I to do that? What does that look like? And he says, look at the people around you. Love the church. Love the people you sit next to at church. Serve them. Love them. That's how we do it. You know, you, when, when the parable of the, of, uh, of the sheep and the goats... You know, this, Jesus says, when you love the least of my brethren, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. This theme is over and over and over again in the New Testament, and it shouldn't surprise us. Um, I want to tell you about my best man at my wedding. I'm not going to mention his name here, but um, basically, um, I was the best man at his wedding. And it was a real joy to be the best man at his wedding, because... Um, he married a woman who'd had a previous marriage, and in that previous marriage, she had a son. And by this time, he was about eight or nine years old. And um, it was a joy to see how he loved her and how he loved her son. And how when she married her, when he, when he married her, he was also making a commitment not just to be a, a husband, but to be a father to this boy. It's a beautiful picture. Now, just imagine that he um, one day went to this woman and said, will you marry me? And she said, oh, I'd love to marry you. He says, but there's one condition. I love you, but I really don't like your kid. 
I love you, but I don't like him. I'm going to be your. I'm going to be yours, but I'm not going to be his. Yeah, maybe I'll 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 hang out with him for an hour on Sunday, but no more than that. How should she respond if that's what he said? If she's in her right mind, she'll say, well, you don't love me. If you love me, you will love my children. And if you don't love my children, then you don't love me. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And that's what God's saying to us in this passage. And over and over again in the New Testament, he's saying, you can't say you love me and hate my children. You can't do it. You can't say you love me and then give the cold shoulder to Christians every Sunday. You can't do that. You can't come to church on a Sunday, say you love Jesus, and then leave the building as quick as you can and spend no time in, God, in the presence of God's people during the week. Have no interest in being, being a part of other Christians' lives and say you love God. God says, rightly says, well, you don't love me. You can't separate God from his children. So we've looked at the picture of the best Christian life, looked at the mindset of the best Christian life, we're going to look at the actions of the best Christian life. So what does this practically look like? How does it look like to love the church? This is a really simple point. It's this, we're to use our gifts to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me read this. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Look, it says, look, whatever you're good at, whatever your abilities are, and in some ways the list here doesn't matter. It's just an example. Look, whatever you can do, do it. It's simple. If there is a need in the church or in the life of a believer that you can meet, then meet it. Do it. Gifts are opportunities. Opportunities are gifts. And he gives these examples. So he talks about prophesying. Well, if you want to find out more about that, come along tonight, because Matt will be speaking about that from 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll be looking at this into more detail. But if, if you're able to, to insightfully apply God's word and truth into someone's life, then do it. If you really feel like the Lord is laying something on your heart to share with someone that would, that would build them up in their walk with Christ, then, then do that. Don't hold it back. Do it. Serving. <laughs> if someone needs your help in the church, if you know there is a need that you can help, then go and serve them. Quite simple. And then teaching. If someone is lacking knowledge in something about the Bible or God's truth, and you can help them in that understanding, then, then do it. Teach them. Encouraging. If someone needs encouraging and you're standing next to them, put your arm around them and encourage them. Giving. If someone is lacking and you can supply their need, then supply it. Now, as I was, I, was, I was thinking about this week, often we think of gifts as being, well, I, I've got this special ability to do something. And yes, that, that, is, that is part of what gifts is. It's a major part of it, actually. But also, I was thinking about it, that it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity. I mean, the last one there is mercy. What, what does it mean if you've got the gift of mercy? As I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, well, what, what, does it, what else does it mean that if somebody has done something horrible to me and they deserve forgiveness, well, then I'm to forgive them. 
When somebody sins against me, I have the gift, the opportunity to show mercy. I have the opportunity to treat them as God has treated me. Uh, is that a special gift? Maybe it is. Maybe there are some people that are able to do that more than others on, on, on levels that we can't even imagine. But I think all of us are called to do that. Giving. Well, if, 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 someone, if, if the money on someone's gas meter has run out, or, you, know, they, you get these tokens that you can put in there, and, they, and they're a brother and sister in Christ, and you've got 10 pounds in your pocket that you don't know what to do with, that's, that's the gift of giving. You can give. It's an opportunity, but it's also a gift to you to be able to do it. And I think that's true for all these things. We're to offer, offer ourselves as living sacrifices, wholly, fully, completely, utterly, as God has given to us, we are to give to his children. That means there is a ministry out there with your name on it. Go and find it. Now, that may include signing up to a church rotor. It might include last-minute sign-up to, to serve the big day out. It does mean that, absolutely. If you're able to do that, then please do. But it also starts right now, immediately after church. What are you going to talk about? You can do the English thing and talk about the weather. Or are you going to have your ears open to listen to what the needs are of the people around you? And then when you hear the need, you think, can I do something about that need? Is there something that I can do? It starts today. It starts now. Do it. Live it. And that's how you will love God today. That's how you, you will love God with all your heart and with all your life and with all your soul. You know, you can make every quiet time this week. You can sing praise songs in your car to work on the way there, on the way back. You can listen to a hundred John Piper sermons or other great Bible teachers this week. You can make it to every church service, every prayer meeting, every life group. But if you don't use your gifts to love the church, you do not love God. Be careful that church doesn't become about what God gives you and nothing else. You know, I, I was trying to remember whether to say this or not, but the reality is in a church of our size, it's so easy just to come along on a Sunday and then to drift off afterwards and go off to your life and you don't spend any other time thinking about church or church family or God in any way. And then you can think at the end of the week, you come to church, you know, I'm just ticking that box. I'm just moving along. I'm okay with God. But if that's you, you're not okay with God. You need to come to him again afresh. You need to really think about what it means to be a living sacrifice. And you need to think about where the power for the best Christian life comes from. And what I'm going to do here is just circle right back to the beginning of the talk, really. So easy to, to kind of forget the power, even though Paul starts with it, because we so easily focus on what we consider to be the negative. But let's finish on the power of the Christian life. In view of God's mercy... Only if you keep the gospel in view in your mind regularly will you be able to do this. It's the only way you can do it. Keep God's gospel, his mercies in mind. What does that mean? Think about this. Jesus took his hands off his own life. 
So Jesus was a voluntary sacrifice. In John 10 verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. He, he voluntarily gives up his life. He, he willingly does it. You know, and in Gethsemane, as, as Jesus is, is facing the cross, he, I, I believe what's going on there is he's, he's starting to realize the weight and the pain and the anguish that he's going to experience. He gets a foretaste of the pain that he's going to go through. And he has this opportunity and for God to say, look, this is how much it's going to hurt. Are you going to do it? And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for your glory and I'm going to do it to save all them. And he goes to the cross. Not as a living sacrifice, but as a butchered sacrifice. As he's stripped naked, as he's whipped, as he's beaten, as he's nailed to a cross for our sin. He goes through all that He's just utterly destroyed on a Roman cross so that you and I can be saved. He takes his hands off his life and plunges himself into the depths of hell. Why? So that you can take your hands off yours. So that I can take my hands off mine. Because we know we can trust him. We know we can trust him. Look what he did for us. Earlier on I said we're to give every part of our lives over to God. All our hopes, dreams, ambitions, plans, everything we do. And I know what that means. That means being totally, totally vulnerable with God. That, means, that, means, that is total vulnerability. That's scary. But remember who you're putting your life in the hands of. The one who died for you. The one who gave it all for you. The one who loves you like that. The one who would do that to save you. You can trust him. So you've seen, we've seen the picture of the best Christian life, the mindset of the best Christian life, the actions of the best Christian life, and finally the power of the best Christian life. But I just want to end by making an appeal to different members of, our, different members of us, maybe in different situations, and it's this. If you're a Christian who wants more of the best Christian life, you're not satisfied with less than the best, then come and be prayed for at the end of the service. Let people pray for you. Let's be in this together. Let other people build you up and encourage you and help you on that journey. Don't do it on your own. You're in a church family. We're in this together, right? Well, let's do it together. Come, talk to me. We'll be down here at the end. We'd love to pray for you. Don't be British. Come and be prayed for. Maybe you're a Christian who says, you know what, I've heard what you said, Ben, uh, but Jesus can't have all of me. Or, I don't mind you, God, but I don't, want to have part, I don't want to be part of your church family. I don't want to know Christians. If that's you, then I am worried about you. I am so worried about you. And if I've offended you because I've said that, then please come and talk to me, argue with me. But I am worried for, your, for the state of your soul, frankly. If you can look at what Jesus has done for you and you can turn your back on God's people, then you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. And I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to pray with you. And finally, maybe you're, you're not a Christian here this morning and you're tired of holding on to your life. It just feels like a weight you can't carry, a burden you can't bear, 
and everything seems to spin out of control and it's weighing you down. Well, Jesus is saying to you this morning, come to me. Come to Jesus. Please come to me. I took my hands off my life. I died so that you can have life. But you will only find life in me if you lay down yours and put it in my hands. Come, lay down your life at the cross. Lay down your life. Give your life over to Jesus. And if you would love to do that, then I would love, people would love to pray with you, to encourage you in that, to build you up. And if you've come with a Christian friend, say that to them. I would love to do that. I'd love Jesus to be in control of my life. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we praise you. We thank you for your great mercies. We could spend all of our lives just meditating on and thinking about. We thank you for the gift of the gospel. We thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, would you please forgive all the times we've, 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 we've approached you with a stony heart. Lord, would you give us a heart of flesh? Would you help us, Lord, after this service to, to start to give our lives totally and utterly to you by loving our brothers and sisters, by recognizing our place in the church, to, to serve it, but also to be served. And I pray, Lord, that above all, you would help us to shine a light on this wonderful message of the cross and bring many people to know him, to know Jesus. Amen.